Good morning once again, baseball fans, and welcome back to the Kanika Daily Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Kenny, and I am joined once again by my beautiful wife, my lovely co-host, Nika. Good morning to everybody, and good morning to you. Thank you, Nika. Good morning to all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day, baseball fans. Yes, happy Mother's Day. We've got a great show for you today. Um, We're going to give a small update about the Wilson Contreras situation because there's news. And we're also going to pivot a little bit later on in the show. Um, Not for very long. We'll be back with more baseball analysis tomorrow. But we wanted to talk about the movie Air because we were able to screen that last night. And we just felt like it was a really impactful well-made movie and and it, it it it's left its imprint on even baseball today the the jordan brand is worn by players in the game today and michael jordan is one of the most competitive people ever and anything that involves him is gonna have an impact on other sports it's a household name everybody knows michael jordan absolutely i said this to you yesterday but if the san diego padres right now are not going home and watching the last dance with the Chicago Bulls and realizing what it takes to win it in in the professional leagues. I don't care if it's basketball, baseball, football, hockey, track and field, whatever sport you play, whatever sport you compete in, you have to put work in if you want to win. And right now, I don't know what's going on in San Diego, but they're getting outworked. They're just getting outworked. Their manager even told them this week, you're getting outworked. Well, before we talk about all the games from yesterday, we need to get into uh, what actually happened in those games. And on this show, we do that by calling on our legendary baseball voice, our very own Max Sugarcane, who does a segment we call the Retro Rundown. Take it away, Max. Take it away, Max. Okay, and good morning again, baseball fans, and happy Mother's Day to all the baseball moms out there. This is legendary baseball voice Max Sugarcane here, bringing you all of yesterday's diamond cutters with another edition of the Retro Rundown. The Yankees came from behind to beat the Rays in the Bronx 9-8. Aaron Judge led the charge with two long balls, including the go-ahead two-run homer in the bottom of the sixth. The man has skunked Detroit in the Motor City 5 to zip. It was the young righty, Bryce Miller, once again getting the job done for Seattle, going seven innings and giving up three hits and zero runs. Jared Kellenick stays red hot for the man as hitting a two-run homer, his eighth. Miami dropped their second straight at home to Cincinnati, 6-5. It was the Viking, Jake Fraley, once again coming up big for the Reds, hitting a three-run homer in the fifth, his third in two days for Cincy. Minnesota beat up the Cubbies at home 11-1 thanks to a two-homer day from their youngster Alex Kirilov, who also added a double and two RBIs. Joe Ryan was sharp on the mound, going six, giving up four hits, no runs, and striking out ten. The Blue Jays took their second straight over Atlanta 5-2 in Toronto. It was shortstop Bo Bichette coming up big for the Bluebirds, going two for four with two runs driven in. Texas skunked the A's in Oakland as Rangers starting pitcher John Gray took a no-no into the seventh and finished the game with eight innings, giving up only three hits, zero runs, and striking out five while throwing only 95 pitches. Uh, Don't look now, but here come the Redbirds, now winners of four out of five after their second straight win at Fenway, four to three. 
spoiling a beautiful start from lefty Chris Sale for the Bow Sox. St. Louis played scrappy in the ninth, blowing the save opportunity for future Hall of Famer Kenley Jansen after a throwing error from shortstop Kike Hernandez allowed the tying and go-ahead runs to score. The Guardians came from behind to upset the Angels in Cleveland 8-6. It was the first baseman, Josh Naylor, coming up with a clutch three-run homer in the bottom of the eighth and putting the Guardians on top for the first time all night. The Orioles won a tight one against the Pirates in Baltimore 2 to zip, thanks to another strong start from righty Tyler Wells, who went seven innings and gave up only one hit while striking out eight. The two young sluggers, Adley Rushman and Gunnar Henderson, each hitting solo shots for the Orange Birds. In Milwaukee, the Brew Crew defeated the Royals 4-3. Christian Yelich was the big slugger for the Brewers, hitting two homers and driving in three RBIs, spoiling the career milestone of Kansas City starter Zach Greinke, who became just the fifth pitcher in Major League history to strike out 1K, 1,000 different hitters. Congratulations, Zach. The Dodgers continue to beat up on San Diego in regular season action, beating the Friars at Dodger Stadium 4-2. Julio Urias put together another strong start for LA, going 7 and holding the Padres offense to just two runs on three hits. J.D. Martinez gave the Dodgers all the runs they would need when he hit a three-run homer in the first off righty Joe Musgrove. The White Sox pulled off a win at home against Houston 3-1 behind righty Dylan Cease, who looked more like himself going six innings for the pale hose, giving up four hits and zero runs. The kid they call Lubob, Luis Robert Jr., stays white hot for the White Sox, hitting his 10th homer on the season and singling in the go-ahead run in the bottom of the eighth at the place they used to call Old Comiskey Park. The Diamondbacks got another Zack attack from their race against the Giants, winning in the desert 7-2. It was right fielder Dominic Fletcher with the big bat for Arizona, knocking a homer, a triple, and driving in five RBIs for the Snakes. With his signature white lightning cleats, Zach Gallen continues his quest for the Cy Young, improving to 6-1 on the season. The Phillies topped the Rockies in Colorado 7-4 thanks to a solid return from Southpaw Ranger Suarez, who made his season debut for Philadelphia, going four innings and throwing 72 pitches. Bryce Hopper continues to hit since coming back from his own injury, knocking a homer, a double, and driving in a pair for the fighting Phils. And the Mets and Nationals were postponed in our nation's capital. They'll resume that game today from the third inning and play their regularly scheduled game as well. Alright, that's all the tales from inside the chalk lines from yesterday's action. But don't worry, dear friends, we'll be right back here again tomorrow for another edition of the Retro Rundown. Once again, this is Max Sugarcane here signing off and wishing all the baseball moms out there a terrific Mother's Day. And now back to Kenny and Nika in the studio. Thank you, Max, for this wonderful update. Wow, Max, what a great update. Uh, lots of games yesterday, lots of action. Anything stand out to you yesterday, Nika? Yes, Padres lost. Yeah, the Padres did lose. Um, you know, I feel like we just talked about that, and there's nothing good to talk about, and I have nothing good to say, so I'm going to skip that yeah. segment for today because it's Mother's Day. You know, It's cloudy right now, but I know the sun's going to be coming out in a, in a couple hours here in Southern California, and it's going to be a beautiful day, and I just want to enjoy it, and I, I, I pray for the best for my Padres, but... We, we have to wait and see, but we have an update on Contreras, though. You have an update on Contreras. Tell me what's going on with our, our good friend Wilson in St. Louis. Wilson is going to start catching again on Monday, Monday evening, probably. The Cardinals are playing the Brewers, and according to the Cardinals organization, 
they finally are in sync between <laughs> Wilson Contreras and the pitching staff. So wait, it took all of six days after like all of spring training and the first couple of months of this, you know, first six weeks. Of, now, now all of a sudden, six days later, it's all fixed. I would imagine. Yes. Wow. That's, that's what they said. That is quite a dramatic turnaround, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree. Although they said they worked on this stuff in spring training. How come it didn't catch on fire then? I don't know. But according to everybody that's close to the situation, they are uh, in sync with the pitching staff and the style of game that Cardinals want to play. So they're going to give Contreras go ahead and be the catcher for Jack Flaccarty on Monday. Brewers Cardinals game so this is uh quite a reversal from where we stood uh i think last weekend we we spoke a lot about it last week on the podcast just about how unprofessional that this whole situation seemed to us and how basically the cardinals were making wilson Contreras as the butt of all their problems um having said that this is a tricky situation now because the cardinals have just gone on a pretty big winning streak or they, they've won four out of five since at least they played two out of three in Chicago and now they've won the first two on the road in Boston and then beating a, a team that in the Red Sox that was red hot for sure. a while so we, we always talk about how the dirty birds are just going to be there you know no matter where they are no matter what they're doing you just can't count them out you know they can just come out of nowhere it seems like and fly in there's a reason that I've nicknamed them the dirty birds you know it's because they just Sneak they, themselves they, they in. They have a way, you know. <laughs> they're they're always going to find a way to be there at the end of the season somehow. And and you look at this roster, and there's tons of talent on this roster. You have Arenado, you have Goldschmidt, you have Contreras, you have Lars Nupar, who is a World Baseball Classic. Uh, he's one of the most popular people in Japan. Oh yeah, he's a superstar over there. Yeah. So I mean, like, you have him. There's you have talent. Dylan Carlson, uh, and and you have Jordan Walker waiting in the minor leagues, ready to come up and give this team a boost when they need it later in the season. So, I would be very concerned about the Cardinals. I I, I wouldn't count them out at all. No, they have time to uh, come back and either win or get into the playoffs somehow. I just wanted to make sure we brought this update because we talked about Contreras before. So, yeah, absolutely. It's just. To me, I, I, I know you're kind of giving me the establishment lowdown of like what they're saying is happening. And yes. I'm just sort of interpreting this as like, this is BS to me. Um, you know, you're this right. is a team that last Monday basically said on May, well, May 6th, that it was a Saturday morning. I remember it now. It was a weekend, but it was a bizarre story to come out when it did. You know, it didn't even come out during like the week. And, Anyways, um, so they saying, said at the time, though, that he's going to be exclusively used as a DH, you know, exclusively. And you're right. This is a damage control situation. This is such damage control. And like we called it at the time. And and I don't think we were alone in our analysis and our suggestion that the Cardinals were way out of line with this move. Well, uh, we'll have to wait and see how the game turns out uh, on Monday. Exactly. Because as I said a minute ago, I, I'm very curious to see how this plays out because now with St. Louis winning if they put Contreras back behind the plate and they start losing again how is that gonna unfold they're gonna come up with another excuse like oh he is not framing the pitches I don't know yeah again this this just sort of goes along with the lines of they don't know what they want to do they are making it up as they go along right now in St. Louis and I think obviously they got torched 
for throwing Contreras under the bus. I think that was pretty much the consent league wide, or you know, and with with the baseball talking heads and the people on YouTube, even it was just like this. This is a head scratcher. Like Contreras's numbers aren't that bad, guys. Come on. Yeah, I think it just comes down to you know it's a new organization. He just got traded in. He has to learn the playbook the way probably quarterbacks do when they trade or they be for sure they go into a different team. So I I understand that aspect that they have to work together to have uh, the same game plan. But that's spring training. Oh no doubt, no doubt about it. So we're gonna see how this situation unfolds uh, tomorrow night. As you said, the Cardinals are going to be playing in Milwaukee. Uh, so a big division game. Uh, and Contreras is going to be back behind the plate. His his brother's in Milwaukee. So oh, that's right. uh, it'll be uh, must-see TV, as most of the games are, at least in our eyes, these oh, days. That's cool. I forgot that his younger bro is with the Brew Crew. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And we'll, we'll be watching. Out, yeah, we'll keep you updated. We'll, we'll probably have an update Tuesday about that situation. Yeah. So sort of do something fun on Mother's Day. We decided we were going to do a little breakdown of the movie Air, which we watched last night. And we want to kind of do talk about it in not just a, a basketball sense, I guess, but in a, just a, a sports sense in general. And the, the story that's told in the movie and like the ramifications that it had on the greater sports competitive world, you know, full disclosure, I guess, is I grew up in Chicago in the 80s i was four years old i think three years old when michael jordan debuted so i don't quite remember the early early days um but by the time they were playing the pistons in the eastern conference finals in the late 80s i was i was already like watching you know must see tv for this kid you were already all in and i watched almost every game that they played until all through all six championship runs you know so, so I saw my fair share of Bulls basketball, and I probably didn't realize how special it was at the time. No kid did. We were all kids in the 80s. So yeah. So we saw basketball getting more popular, probably. Yeah. Even for the suburban white kids, you know, it was like a big deal when the Bulls were on, and we were we were fully into it. If we were out somewhere, you know, it was on the radio. It was a Neil Funk, and I don't remember who his color guy was before. I don't remember, but... Anyways, it was it was Neil Funk on the radio, and then you had Johnny Red Kerr on the home TV broadcast, and it was just a special moment in the history of sports, those 90s Bulls teams. They had the biggest bullet on their back, you know, or target on their back, I should say, and everyone was gunning for them, and they still beat them. That's was, the reason why they won so many championships. They had Michael Jordan. It's just that simple. He's just one man that's so mm-hmm. special, and... He changed basketball forever. Well, we were big fans of the ESPN Netflix series, The Last Dance. Um, we, we took all that in uh, a couple of years ago, I think. And and one of the best ways that I think I can describe the movie that I saw last night, the Air movie, is that it was sort of a prequel to The Last Dance. Because, spoiler alert, Michael Jordan is barely even in this movie, even though it's about how the Air Jordan brand was sort of born into existence based on extraordinary circumstances, I would say. Yes, it's a movie about Nike. It's not a movie about Michael Jordan. It's a movie in the same category as Moneyball, Jerry Maguire, movies like that. It's not about the player. The main character is played by Matt Damon, 
And these are all based on true characters, by the way. Uh, just to give people an idea of like what the plot of the movie is, is uh, Matt Damon plays a person who was hired by Nike basically to blossom their basketball shoe brand. He was responsible basically for recruiting players that Nike could sign to build their brand. It's made very clear early on in the movie that Nike is not there to compete with Converse and Adidas, that they just don't have the runway. So they're eyeing those second tier draft picks, those sort of maybe we'll get lucky that one of these guys will break out and become better than we think they are kind of mentality, I guess. Um, well, Nike was considered a running shoe. It was never back in the day. It was not a basketball shoe. It was a jogger shoe. Sure. Yeah. So like you have to go back to when this is all happening, 1984, Michael Jordan's been drafted by the Bulls. So Nike is looking at the draft picks on a board in an office and basically saying we have no chance at this guy we have no chance at this guy like we have no chance at this guy and michael jordan is already off their list when the movie starts but the character matt damon plays is he's a basketball wizard in a sense like he's been around the game he watches tons of videotape you know he's got this office with vhs tapes everywhere he's a basketball scout yeah somewhat yeah yeah for nike <laughs> in a way like he's, he's his scouting finding talent in places where it hasn't been discovered yet too. yes he visits a lot of high school basketball games but he's also a gambler he is, he is. they they establish that he he likes to gamble and the movie kind of tells the story about how he bet it all on jordan you know he he literally like bet his job with Nike on Jordan. I think they had a budget of like $250,000 at the time to basically like sign players to contracts mm -hmm. and he wanted to put it all onto Jordan and the whole budget the whole budget and they didn't want to do that at first you know they're like well we need we need to spread it out you know we need to diversify our portfolio and he's like nope this is the guy to end up my like initial thoughts about the movie I think the story is worth watching because of again how these circumstantial people came together and made something extraordinary happen like there's there's life before the Jordan brand and there's kind of life after it. Well, there's life before Jordan and life after Jordan. Like he he changed the world with how he played. And Nike and and this guy Sonny Vaccaro really tap into that. You know, they they foresaw this almost. And and I'm going to get into this in a minute, but he he almost like predicted what Jordan would become before he had ever played a game in the before NBA. Yes. He, he predicted the championships and the rise of Michael Jordan. He did. So I want to talk about one of the things that the movie does really, really, really well uh, for me. And, and again, a kid who grew up in Chicago saw every Michael Jordan documentary tape that came out in the in the 80s and 90s about him, like all his highlight reel videos, everything, all the stories. I've seen it all probably <laughs> or close to all of it. And I had never knew this one particular piece of information. And it's because it, it involves looking at something differently, which is hard to do, especially something that you've seen so many times. But one of the reasons that Matt Damon's character, Sonny, is so adamant that Michael Jordan is going to be great, not just good, but great, maybe the greatest of all time, is because of the 1981 North Carolina shot that 
won them the championship. And they show him like sort of watching the play over and over, like rewinding it (laughs) on the old VHS tape. You know, like he's rewinding the tape and he's basically uh, watching it and they keep zooming in and zooming in. And what, what happens is you wind up seeing Jordan without the ball in that moment before the shot. And and it's that moment that really sells Sonny on the fact that Michael Jordan is the guy. And and so why is that? It's it's because he's so calm. It's because he's so relaxed. And it's like literally the moment before he's about to take a shot that he knows he's going to take in the last dance. You know, we, we, we turned the last dance on and watched it a little bit in bed last night right after we watched this movie because it kind of makes you want to watch it. It does. <laughs> But, uh, you know, Jordan even says, you know, Coach Smith, Coach Dean Smith from North Carolina, he gave me the green light out of the huddle, out of the timeout before that play happened. And even though the the play was designed to go the Worthy, uh, James Worthy, who was also on that North Carolina team, he knew that he was an, an option because it was most likely that Worthy was going to get the double team. And, and that happened, and Jordan wound up being open on the wing. And, like, I mean, it was a stop and pop he didn't even hesitate he he got the ball and he was already like getting into his motion to shoot the ball obviously the rest is history but it's that moment before the pass comes to him where he's just kind of walking and he's loose and and that's what sells him on it is the fact that like this guy's about to take the biggest shot of his life and he's 18 years old 19 he's a he's a freshman at North Carolina, and he's acting like he doesn't care. Well, the play was designed for him because the coach saw the potential. It was the coach's last year, too. I, I believe that's what it wasn't said. his last year, but it was it was his fourth time making okay. it to the championship game and not winning. But not they hadn't won yet okay. the first three times, you know. And uh, I think a lot of people were saying, like, you're going to become. I don't know. Well, he was the Buffalo Bills before the Buffalo Bills existed. Sorry, Bills fans. But that that plays into the explanation that May Damon had because the coach was in this position and this was his last chance to get that championship. It's where the gambling came in. It, It was like sort of like, in Matt Damon's eyes at least, Dean Smith, the coach from North Carolina, was betting it all on Michael Jordan in that moment in 1981 too because... His coaching career was on the line in a sense. Like if he didn't break through and win the big game, then North Carolina was going to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And then you find out Matt Damon bets his whole life on it too. It's a reoccurring theme of the movie. I guess. <laughs> it is. It seems like a, a small few people saw this greatness. But the thing that makes it interesting about Matt Damon is he saw it from a distance. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't up close and personal in practice every day, seeing it unfold in real time. He had to investigate do do good old de- fashioned detective work at his job in order to find that little moment that stood out to him as to why Nike should bet it all on this guy and he had to fight Nike to do it you know and that's part of the story of the movie too that I don't really want to spoil a lot for people that's the drama you that's know, the, the drama it's a really well written drama it's witty it's humorous and uh it gets you sucked in right away Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the funny jokes about, oh, come on, man, nobody looks at Nike as a basketball shoe. Come on. You know, like it's like, what? We all look at Nike as a basketball shoe today, but, you know, not the case in 1984. No, and that's what makes it 
fun to watch because we all know the outcome of it. At least people that know Air Jordan, they know the situation, are familiar with the Hilariously, like he didn't even want to go there. No. Like, according to his mom, we should give a shout out to Viola Davis, who plays... Dolores Jordan. Dolores Jordan. And it's really the one that kind of orchestrates a lot of Michael Jordan's early career decisions, I guess, for lack of a better word. It's, it's established very early on in the movie, at least, that she is the one handling her son's business affairs and, and not necessarily the husband. The husband is just more like, ah, no, you got to deal with her. <laughs> yeah, she's the gatekeeper. She yeah. is the gatekeeper. She is the person with the cool head in the room. Yes. She's and looking like, at things from a business. What is that going to do to my son? She knew the potential. She saw what he's capable of doing. Again, we don't want to spoil the movie scene by scene or anything but there's a, a a moment early on in the movie where matt damon visits the the family and and he's like oh can i meet him you know or can i see him and she says no you know she's like nope we're not there yet you get to do it when the time is right is basically how she says it to him if and when the time becomes right then you will get to talk to him yeah, I think Viola Davis was a great choice to play Dolores Jordan. She really nailed it. Yeah. I mean, and in, in the little research we've done, it sounds like Michael Jordan. So the movie is directed by Ben Affleck, we should mention, who also plays the CEO of Nike, uh, Bill Knight, in this movie, uh, yeah. who is just quite a, quite a flipping character. I'll let you enjoy that performance for yourselves uh but if you think ben affleck can be a little bit douchey at times then you will probably think he's perfectly cast as this guy so i guess great casting by yourself as this guy ben he affleck. recognizes his own <laughs> abilities to perform yeah, and he recognizes like, where he's good at he's almost making fun of himself ben affleck as a director he grew on me after argo of course. And this, this is another... Uh, this movie invokes great. some of those same feelings, like with the writing, I guess, and like the comedic timing a little bit. Because there, there's a, a lot of high stakes drama going on in the movie, at least. It's high stakes for Nike. You know, it's it's not high stakes for Converse and Adidas. They're just assuming that Jordan's going to sign with them, I think, because of their stature in the business. Whereas Nike is the one that is like, we need to do something special for this guy. Not, yeah. not for Magic Johnson, not for Larry Bird. For this guy, you know, and they, they did. They sure did. Everyone knows the shoe. And that was another great part of the movie that I appreciated and was uh, getting introduced to this character. I think his name is Peter Moore. And Peter Moore worked in the basement at Nike, it looked like. <laughs> he was the shoe designer. He was the shoe designer. He was a very important job. Well, Not to mention he loved basketball as well. Yes. And one of the great stories in the movie is the shoe design itself because the NBA had these weird rules at the time about shoes. <laughs> Obviously that doesn't exist anymore, but um, they had weird rules where like they had to be certain colors and like had to be somewhat white. And if they weren't, the player was fined every game that they literally didn't uphold to this rule. Yeah, it had to be 51% white. And so, you know, Jordan goes to Adidas and he goes to Converse and like they put their shoes on display and they explain the whole like, well, the NBA has these rules and, you know, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And Nike takes like a completely different approach and and saying like, hey, we, we designed this shoe and, and it's got Bulls colors on it, you know, like red and black and white. And but it doesn't uphold to the rules of the NBA at the time. And when they ask about this. Nike says, oh, well, we'll just pay the fine for They you. believed in their product. 
They really did. Yeah. And that was a cool, I think, little move on their part, a slick move, you know, to like, that's a really good way to kind of coo somebody. Oh, we want you to look cool out there so much that we're just going to pay whatever fines that the league wants to level at you for trying to look cool. Yes. <laughs> we believe in you. We believe in our product and we're going to stand behind you. You're not going to be stuck with the fine. This, this shoe designer, Peter Moore, who was played by actor Matthew Marr, he was a basketball nerd. He was waiting downstairs for this to happen. He, he's like wanting to design the best basketball shoe ever. So when you talk about these moments coming together in history, it was like, this guy's a big part of it, in my opinion. You know, like obviously Jordan coming in when he did and Nike being in the situation that they were financially, like they needed to either grow their basketball division or it was going to get cut completely. That was the message from the movie early on. And Matt Damon's job was basically he was brought in there as this basketball wizard to grow their brand, to identify these players to help grow their brand. And he wasn't doing it. It was all these different components coming together. But I want to get into the the end a little bit. And spoilers, again, alert for people that haven't seen it. Um, but I want to kind of turn it back to Viola Davis and what 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 winds up being the turning point in getting the actual deal to happen between Michael Jordan and Nike. Um, because there's always a, a but, <laughs> isn't there? Yeah, you know, there's, there's always, always a, a, a last hurdle that you have to overcome. And and when Matt Damon gets the phone call and, and it's, hey, we're going to go with you. We're going to go. And he's he's smiling. He's like pumping his fist. And he's like, yes, it's happening. And then there, and then comes the mic drop. Like, and the butt. and here's what else we want. And, and she kind of pioneers, I think, this deal where Michael Jordan got a percentage of every product that was ever sold by Nike with his name on it. And I believe he still does to this day. She started the your own brand right. sense. And 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 Magic Johnson didn't have that deal with Converse. Larry Bird didn't have that deal with Converse. Uh Julius Irving didn't have that deal with Converse. They didn't have a mother like Dolores yeah, Jordan. They well and and to be fair, maybe those players needed to happen for her to be able to see that from a distance. Yeah. But also Matt Damon, <laughs> very smart at the beginning of the movie when he first meets her, he tells her exactly how those companies are going to treat her when they, when she shows up to meet with them. And, and he's pretty spot on when they actually do go meet with him later. And I think she appreciated that he knew the business, you know, he knew the ins and he knew that he knew it, you know. Yeah, he's been around enough to know how the top brass in those businesses operate. Absolutely. That deal alone wound up making Michael Jordan more money than he would ever need in his entire life, <laughs> it, d despite how much money he made from playing basketball. Yeah, it's a uh, passive income. That's what he got back in the day. I, I think they sold 162 what what did they say? They they thought they were gonna sell three million. They sold a hundred sixty seven million yeah, first year. They, they were trying to calculate the percentage. You know, Ben Affleck has a really funny moment when Matt Damon goes and tells him about this final hurdle that's sort of come up. You know, it's the final challenge at the end of the movie. You know, like now I got to go ask this crazy CEO guy for more flipping of his money when I've already like exhausted all the sources been, and everything. When it hasn't been done before, and now they want this state-of-the-art deal to get even sweeter with a percentage of sales which has never been done before yeah so he has a great moment where he just basically says ah fuck it 
We would just change the business forever, but who cares? Yeah, we'll just change the business forever. Who cares? You know, and and they did, and they, did. they certainly did. But there is no brand athlete that has even come close to Jordan. I mean, so they did bet on the right horse, I guess. Yes, we see what impact Jordan and the Air Jordan brand has on the current players, current athletes. You see the brand everywhere. Look at baseball. Guys wear Air Jordans in the baseball games. Yeah, I mean, Fernando wears the original Air Jordan 1s, you know, right now from from the movie. Yeah, with the brown color, white and brown color. Yeah, of course. And that's the whole point. Everything There's pink ones, blue ones, green, mm-hmm. everything. You know, like the fact that they were Bulls colors, I think, started this whole, like, you could coordinate your shoes to match your jersey. That's what everyone does now in every sport. Whereas before, it was just kind of like, oh, you wore black or white shoes, I think. Yeah. Even baseball players, you know, like they, they wore standard model cleats. They didn't have like blue shoes or all these brand contracts with like, like uh, Otani. He's he's with New Balance now. So all these players have deals everywhere. And Look at the shoes right now in the players that it's personalized. It's right. Mike authentic. Trout has his own Nikes. Ken Griffey Jr. had the Swingman logo, which was basically a baseball version of the Jumpman logo that mm-hmm. Jordan started. All plays into it. Absolutely. And it opened the door to a lot of other brands trying to experiment with this. Because it's not just Nikes that have done personalized shoe lines. Right. And and they and they've also made it where and, and Ben Affleck says this in the movie at one point, they make shoes for running, you know, but like they want people to wear them when they're just walking around the mall or walking around the park or walking around school or walking around the city they wanted them to become a casual sort of uh footwear brand i guess that just people wore everywhere yeah and they're a lot better for your feet than wearing some heels or dress shoes that constrict your whole foot (laughs) most people right now just wear sneakers whether that's nike adidas it doesn't matter exactly wear sneakers you wear sneakers to the office you wear sneakers to the car at home whatever there's a great line in there a shoe is just a shoe until someone steps into it exactly and that's one of the ongoing themes throughout the entire film i really enjoyed the film and i highly recommend it just for anything um just as a reminder how special that moment in time was when all this happened. It's one of those things that doesn't happen every day, I guess. It doesn't come along every day. It's a time capsule movie. It, it really is. is. It really captures us a moment in time and does it very well. I highly recommend it. And especially for Mother's Day. It, it has that kind of special Mother's Day ring to it with how much she impacted his life. Yes, absolutely. It's a great Sunday movie. Or any day movie. We really enjoyed it. Laughed out loud a lot and just had a lot of great, I guess, retro jokes for a better way of putting. Makes um, you feel old, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It made me feel old just watching the intro to the movie. Um, and as an editor, I just got to send out my thoughts to the uh, editor of this movie. And I, I can already foresee a, a nightmare scenario with that opening sequence where it must have had, I don't know, 50, 100 version. I don't know. You could have probably gone through every shot and found like five shots that you could have used for each one. So as the great films do, it really transported you to that moment. All right. Well, one final thing before we get out of here on this Mother's Day is I wanted to give a personal shout out to my own mom. Her name is Beth. She is 
one of the smartest and most courageous people I know. She works really hard in her personal life and in her career. And despite all that, she still made time to take me and my brothers to our baseball games as a kid. Uh, was always shuffling us around and getting us from game to game. Uh, we were all different ages, so there was oftentimes more than one game every day. And uh, while I'll never appreciate it enough, I think, in life, because when it's happening at the time, you don't really understand adult things. And now that you're an adult, how can you ever say thanks enough for all the time that you saw them give up? So just uh, wanted to say thank you again today, Mom. If you're listening, I'm pretty sure you are. So I hope this message finds you well and that you're having a great day back in the Chicagoland area and hope to see you and dad soon. So happy Mother's Day, mom. Have a great one. That was wonderful. I think your mom would love it. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, my mother included, and your mom as well. Happy Mother's Day, Bagusha. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Kanika Daily Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Kenny. And I'm Nika signing out. Adios, everybody. Enjoy the games. Bye. Bye.